Welcome to Truth Triumphant Radio. I'm Cody Mori, and today I wanted to continue the discussion that we were having last week in regards to communism. Now, last week we discussed Larry Grothwall, the FBI informant who infiltrated the left-wing group, the Weather Underground. And as we learned, they had plans. These are um, Ivy League majors. You know, they had plans of eliminating at least 25 million people. And they also um, were worried about something that they referred to as the counter-revolution after their revolution. So today, I wanted to discuss uh, a little bit further in regards to that. I didn't get a chance last week to get into the warnings that came from Yuri Bezmenov back in the 1980s. Interestingly enough, Yuri Bezmenov has sort of come back into uh, the the limelight recently in regards to he well he's dead now, but his older videos and stuff in regards to some of his warnings that he had for America uh, because of the things that we saw in 2020 and in uh, well continuing right up to this day. And actually. There was a clip of Yuri Bezmenov where he was talking about something called active measures. And essentially that's part of what he as a former KGB agent, um, active measures was is what they used to sort of undermine or demoralize the country in which they were trying to operate. And they would do that in many ways, uh, basically undermining the morality. It's, it's essentially what the word implies demoralization but anyways before we get too far into that I want to make sure we pull back and take a look at uh, how all this ties in to Rome I'm gonna play a rather long clip of Yuri Bezmenov an interview that he had with G Edward Griffin in 1985 you can find this online right now still um, if you look up Yuri Bezmenov in YouTube, you can find uh, a few videos, and there's a there's a particular one that has that's an interview with G. Edward Griffin. I believe there might be a couple. Uh, anyways, they're really great little interviews because there's there's a lot of information in there in regards to how communism. And remember, this is a former KGB agent saying this. So it's not like his philosophy or his uh, what he thinks is going on or some theory. This is what he used to do uh, as a trade, essentially, to undermine countries in which he operated, uh, which he operated in India. So when he talks about the phases that they go through, he's talking about his marching orders. He's not talking about a theory or a philosophy or a maybe this. He's talking about what they actually use to undermine and destroy a country um, and get it to fall to communism. And we're seeing it, we've been seeing it right before our very eyes. And um, I think it's important to remember, folks, to remember that where these principles come from they come from the jesuit order 
If you've ever taken a look at, we've made Jesuit connections many times on this program before, um, but if you really want to look at a, a detailed, well, it's, it's concise detailed analysis on the origins of communism and how they are tied to the Jesuit order, I have a sermon online on YouTube called Communism's Religious Manifesto. And you can find that on our YouTube channel at Truth Triumphant Ministries uh, YouTube channel. And you can find it in there under the playlist under the Antichrist Showdown playlist. And I encourage you, if you're not sure about the origins of communism and how all of this goes into play, you, um, you take a look at that and, and perhaps take a look at some of the things in regards to the King of the South and the King of the North. That way you can understand that basically both of these sides are being played uh, by Rome in order to bring about really the demise of American values, what this country was founded upon, and so that they can bring about their new morality or their return to the Dark Ages, their return to the feudal system. So um, that's something that we've mentioned on here um, a few times we've made a couple we've made connections with for instance from J.A. Wiley's book on commun where he has a section there talking about communism and the Jesuits working with it and that if countries decide to basically bow the knee once again to Rome then the Jesuits will make communism go away but if they don't then they have then they're basically stuck with it and when you think, when you really think that through, the Jesuits have the power. The Jesuits are the only ones on earth that have the power to stop communism. How does that work? You know, are these two, are these two uh, powers, you know, are they working and are they at odds with each other, or are they working together? And as soon as a country decides to bow the knee to Rome, at least back in J. A. Wiley's day, then the Jesuits would simply make communism go away. Much more likely, folks, that they are working together. I, I find it, I kind of find it somewhat insane to think that you have the Freemasons over here doing these, these things, you know, and there, there's evidence of that. And then you have the Illuminati over here doing these things over here, and, and there's evidence of that too. But somehow, do we think that they're like they're jockeying for power or they're both racing and competing with each other? No, they're not doing that, folks. This is like another tentacle on the arm of the octopus, and the octopus is Rome. And we have to keep that in mind. The enemy has always been Rome since, really, since the days of Christ himself and all the way up until, if you read... Daniel chapter 7, it says that this power rules until Christ returns. So how can it rule if it's not ruling? And that's through communism. That's through fascism. That's through all of those outlets. They control them all. That way they can sway the people, basically herd them in as cattle. And that's how they view people, the elites. They view people as human cattle or catechumens or the goyim as they call them and they can they can herd them because they're controlling both sides it's not good against bad it's it's bad against bad many times 
And I believe that's what we're seeing today with uh, the communist threat here in the United States and the opposite side of the spectrum, which is is Trump. And, and I understand many people think that he um, was a legitimate president. And I, and I must say, you know, if I look at just his policies alone, I don't have any problems with his policies. What I have problems with is I have problems with the excuses that I have to make in order to make Trump um, not part of this game. I have to constantly, I have to make an excuse for his education. I have to say, okay, well, he dropped out and, you know, maybe he didn't really, you know, maybe he wasn't initiated, whatever, into the Jesuit order. And then, and then I go into and I see that he's got, he's surrounded by Jesuits in his cabinet. I say, oh, okay, well, maybe they, maybe Rome put those people around him and maybe, maybe see here, I'm making another excuse for him. And then you go on a little further and you see that the people that he, he put into the Supreme Court of the three nominations that he made or the, the appointments that he made, two of them were Jesuit, edu Jesuit educated and all three of them were Roman Catholic when he is supposed to be a Presbyterian background. Now, Again, I'm forced to make an excuse if I want to say that he's legitimate. I'm forced to make an excuse for him again. And then when you see some of the things that happened with the riots and things like that, there's a lot of things that he could have stopped and a lot of things that he should have stopped regardless of the politics that were going on. Again, I'm forced to make an excuse for him. Now, that's that's not something I'm willing to do um, for me. I'm not willing to make all of those excuses so that Trump fits into um, my hopes, you know, everyone's everyone's hopes, really, that there's there's someone out there that's, you know, really, really trying, or is he just playing the game? I think it's the latter, folks, and I think it's for the reasons the reasons and many others that I've just given, is that I can't I can't make that many excuses for somebody. But anyways, in regards to one of the things you're going to hear in the interview with Yuri Bezmenov and G. Edward Griffin and his alias here in the United States was Thomas David Schumann. Okay, that's what Yuri Bezmenov's um, alias wa uh, it was. That's one of the names that he went by. So I have a quote here from Ignatius Loyola from Spiritual Exercises, number 365, also known as Rule 13, depending on who you ask. And I'm mentioning this because you're going to hear something very similar to it in Yuri Bezmenov's interview. And I want you, I want you to just keep in mind, folks, that why are, why are we hearing the same doctrines come from these two different sources? Because they're the same source. They're the same source. But anyways, Rule 13, it says, We should always be prepared so as never to err to believe that what I see as white is black if the hierarchical church defines it thus now you're going to hear yuri bezmanov basically say the same thing but that the government would decide so the government takes the place of the church and this but the system is very similar and the spirit behind the system and the philosophy and the doctrine behind the system is the same as the jesuit founder ignatius Loyola in his spiritual exercises written in 1548 now, Yuri Bezmenov, as I've stated, he was a Soviet journalist for RIA Novosti and a former KGB informant who defected to Canada originally. 
After being assigned to a station in India, Besmanov eventually grew to love the people and the culture of India. And this, at the same time, he began to resent the KGB-sanctioned repression of intellectuals who dissented from Moscow's policies. And he decided to defect to the West. Besmanov is best remembered for his anti-communist lectures and books published in the 1980s. And you can read that on Wikipedia on Yuri Besmanov. Uh, actually, one of the things he used to do is when they had other diplomats that would come to Moscow, one of his jobs when he, when he was in Russia, I think this was the early years of his KGB days, um, his job was to keep them intoxicated the entire time they were there. So, I mean, you can guess what kind of decisions you can make when you're intoxicated. So that was one of his jobs to do when he was there. And he talks about how a, a country is undermined. And I encourage you... I'm going to play about a 13-minute clip here today, but I encourage you folks that if you um, if you have the time, uh, perhaps if you're driving your car and you can Bluetooth it to your car or something like that, uh, that's what I do sometimes. Um, but if you can if you can listen, watch or listen to the videos um, that he has, he has a couple different interviews. One of them's a lecture. One of them's an interview. Um, that are about an hour to an hour and a half, depending on which one you're watching. And if you listen to those and watch those and and decipher them through your Christian lens, understanding that, that Rome is the mastermind of all of this, a lot of puzzle pieces really come and basically fall into place to help you understand perhaps, you know, how we got to where we are now. All right. But I want to quote from... Thomas Schumann, which is Yuri Besmanov, in his book, Love Letter to America, page 5, where he says this, My dear friends, I think you are in big trouble. Whether you believe it or not, you are at war. And you may lose this war very soon, together with all your effluence and freedoms, unless you start defending yourselves. I hope you have noticed on your color televisions that there is, in fact, a war going on right now all over this planet. This war has many faces, but it's all the same. It's war. Some call it national liberation. Some title it class struggle or political terrorism. Others call it anti-colonialism or struggle for major majority rule. Some even come up with such fancy names as war of patriotic forces or peace movement. I call it world communist aggression. And indeed, that's what we're seeing today. That's what we're seeing today. And, and regardless of what happened in the 1980s, when he's making these, these great statements, you got to remember what was happening in the 1980s. Reagan and Gorbachev were working together. Um, and Gorbachev was, was practicing what was called glasnost, which was government transparency, being more open to, um, inspection from the West to see kind of what they're doing and, and, and opening up relationships and stuff like that. And it turned into what they called the, the perestroika. I hope I'm saying that right. But basically it was the restructuring of the Soviet economy, the bureaucracy, um, and changing it to, to basically be more de democratic rather than oppressive, which is what it was throughout the Cold War times. But 
you can check this, uh, an interesting quote from him. During the 1980s, this is from 1987, so two years before the Berlin Wall fell down, this is what Gorbachev said in a speech in 1987 to the Communist Party. He said, gentlemen, comrades, do not be concerned about all you hear about glasnost and perestroika and democracy in the coming years. These are primarily for outward consumption. There will be no significant internal change within the Soviet Union other than for cosmetic purposes. Our purpose is to disarm the Americans and let them fall asleep. And that's from Mikhail Gorbachev, who is he? Also, you can read that from um, an author named Funderburk on page 57 of their book, Betrayal of America. So without further ado, folks, I want to play you uh, this, this about 13-minute quote in his interview with G. Edward Griffin. Here it is. Well, you spoke several times before about ideological subversion. That is a phrase that... Uh, I'm afraid some Americans don't fully understand. When uh, the Soviets use the phrase ideological subversion, what do they mean by it? Ideological subversion is, is the process which is legitimate, overt, and open. You, you can see it with your own eyes. All, all you have to do, all American mass media has to do, is to unplug their bananas from their ears, open up their eyes, and they can see it. There is no mystery. There is nothing to do with espionage. I know that espionage intelligence gathering looks more romantic. It sells more deodorants through the advertising, probably. That's why your Hollywood producers are so crazy about James Bond type of, of, of thrillers. But in reality, the main emphasis of the KGB is not in the area of intelligence at all. According to my uh, opinion and opinion of many defectors of my caliber, only about 15% of time, money, and manpower is spent on espionage as such. The other 85% is a slow process, which we call either ideological subversion or active measures, activne meropriatia in the language of, of the KGB, or psychological warfare. What it basically means is to change the perception of reality of every American to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information, no one is able to come to sensible conclusions in the interests of defending themselves, their families, their community, and their country. It's a great brainwashing uh, process which goes very slow and it's divided in, in four basic stages. Uh, the first one being demoralization. It takes from 15 to 20 years to demoralize a nation. Why that many years? because this is the minimum number of years which requires to uh, educate one generation of students in the country of, of, of your enemy, exposed to the ideology of the enemy. In other words, Marxism-Leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students without being challenged or counterbalanced by the basic values of Americanism, American patriotism. The result? The result you can see, most of the people who graduated in the 60s, dropouts or half-baked intellectuals, are now occupying the positions of power in the government, civil service, business, mass media, educational system. You are stuck with them. You cannot get rid of them. 
they are contaminated. They are programmed to think and react to certain stimuli in a certain pattern. You cannot change their mind, even if you, if you expose them to authentic information, even if you prove that white is white and black is, uh, is black, you still cannot change the basic perception and the logic of behavior. In other words, these people, uh, uh, the process of demoralization is complete and irreversible. To get rid society of these people, you, have, you need another 20 or, or, or 15 years to educate a new generation of patriotically minded and, and, and uh, common, common sense people who would be acting in favor and in the interests of, of the uh, of, uh, United States society. And yet these people who've been programmed and, as you say, in place and yes. who are favorable to an opening with the Soviet concept, mm -hmm. these are the very people who would be marked for extermination in this country? Most of them, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, simply because the psychological shock when, when they will see in future what the, what the beautiful society of equality and social justice means in practice, obviously they will revolt. They, 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 will, uh, they, they will be very unhappy, frustrated people. And the Marxist-Leninist regime does not tolerate these people. Uh, they, obviously they will join the links of dissenters, mm -hmm. dissidents. Uh, unlike in present United States, there will be no place for dissent in, in future Marxist-Leninist America. Uh, here you can, you can get uh, popular like uh, Daniel Ellsberg and filthy rich like Jane Fonda for being dissident, for criticizing your Pentagon. In future, these people will be simply squashed like cockroaches. Nobody is going to pay them nothing for their beautiful, noble ideas of equality. This they don't understand, and uh, it will be greatest shock for them, of course. The demoralization process in the United States is basically completed already. Uh, for the last 25 years, actually it's overfulfilled, because uh, demoralization now reaches such areas where previously not even Comrade Andropov and, and all his experts would, would even dream of such a tremendous success. Most of it is done by Americans to Americans thanks to lack of moral standards. As I mentioned before, uh, exposure to true information does not matter anymore. A person who was demoralized is unable to assess true information. The facts tell nothing to him. Uh, even if I shower him with information, with, with authentic proof, with documents, with pictures, even if I take him by force to the Soviet Union and show him concentration camp, he will refuse to believe it until he, he is going to receive a kick in, the, in his fat bottom. When a military boot crashes his then he will understand, but not before that. That's the tragic of the situation of demoralization. So basically America is stuck with, with demoralization and unless, even if, if you start right now, here, this minute, you start educating new generation of Americans, it will still take you 15 to 20 years to turn the tide of, uh, of ideological perception of reality uh, back to normal, no, normalcy and, and uh, patriotism. The next stage is destabilization. This time, subverter does not care about your ideas and the patterns of your consumption. Whether you eat junk food and get fat and flabby, it doesn't matter anymore. This time, and it takes only from two to five years to destabilize a nation, uh, it's, uh, what, what matters is essentials, economy, foreign relations, defense systems. 
Uh, and you can see it quite clearly that in some areas, uh, in such sensitive areas as, as uh, defense and economy, uh, the uh, influence of Marxist-Leninist ideas in the United States is absolutely fantastic. I, I could never believe it 14 years ago when I landed uh, in this part of the world that the process will go that fast. Uh, the next stage, of course, is crisis. It, it, it may take only up to six weeks to, to bring a country to the verge of crisis. You can see it in, in Central America now. And after crisis, with a violent change of, of power, structure, and economy, you have so-called the period of normalization. It may last indefinitely. Normalization is a cynical expression borrowed from Soviet propaganda. When the Soviet tanks moved into Czechoslovakia in 68, Comrade Brezhnev said, now the situation in brotherly Czechoslovakia is normalized. This is what will happen in the United States if you allow all these schmucks to bring the country to crisis, to promise people all kinds of goodies and the paradise on earth, uh, to, to destabilize your uh, economy, to eliminate the principle of free market competition, and to put a big brother government in Washington, D.C., with the benevolent dictators like Walter Mondale, who will promise lots of things, never mind whether the promises are fulfillable or not. He will go to Moscow to kiss the bottoms of, of new generation of Soviet assassins, never mind. He will create false illusions that the uh, situation is under control. Situation is not under control. Situation is disgustingly out of control. Most of the American politicians, media, and educational system trains another generation of people who think they are living at a peacetime. False. The United States is in a state of war, undeclared total war against the basic principles and the foundations of, of this system. And, and the initiator of this war is not Comrade Andropov, of course. Uh, it's, it's the system. However ridiculous it may sound, the world communist system or the world communist conspiracy, whether I scare some people or not, I don't give a hoot. Uh, if, if you are not scared by now, nothing can scare you. But you don't have to be paranoid about it. What, what actually happens now, that unlike myself, you have literally several years to live on unless the United States wake up. The, the time bomb is ticking with every second. The disaster is coming closer and closer. Unlike myself, you will have nowhere to defect to. Unless you want to live in Antarctica with penguins. This is it. This is the last country of freedom and, and possibility. Okay, so what do we do? What is your recommendation to the American people? Well, uh, the, uh, the, um, the immediate thing that comes to my mind is, of course, there must be a very strong national effort to educate people in, in, in the spirit of real patriotism, number one. Number two, to, to explain them the real danger of socialist, communist, whatever, welfare state, big brother government. If people will fail to grasp the impending danger of that development, nothing ever can help the United States. You may kiss goodbye to your freedom, including freedoms to, to homosexuals, to a prison inmate, all this freedom will vanish, evaporate in, in five seconds, including your precious lives. Um, the second thing, I, the moment at least part of the United States population is convinced that the danger is real, they have to force 
their government. And I'm not talking about sending letters, signing petitions, and all this beautiful, noble activity. I'm talking about forcing United States government to stop aiding communism. Because there is no other problem more burning and, and urgent than to stop the Soviet military-industrial complex from destroying what is, whatever is left of the free world. And it is very easy to do. No credits, no technology, no money, no political or diplomatic recognition, and of course no such idiocy as grain deals to USSR. The Soviet people, 270 millions of, of Soviets, will be eternally thankful to you if you stop aiding a bunch of murderers who sit now in Kremlin and whom President Reagan respectfully calls government. They do not govern anything, least of all such complexity as the Soviet economy. So basic, two, two very simple, maybe two simplistic answers or solutions, but never, nevertheless, they are the only solutions. Educate yourself. Understand what's going on around you. You are not living at a time of peace. You are in a state of war. And you have precious little time to save yourself. Um, you don't have much time, especially if you are talking about young generation. There's not much time left for convulsions uh, to the beautiful uh, disco music. Very soon it will go, just, just overnight. If we are talking about capitalists or, or, or wealthy businessmen, they, I think they are selling the rope on which they will hang very soon. If they don't stop, if they cannot curb their unsettled desire for profit, and if they keep on trading with the monster of the Soviet communism, they are going to hang very soon. And it, they will pray to be killed, but unfortunately they will be sent to Alaska probably to manage industry of slaves. It's, it's simplistic. I know it sounds unpleasant. I know Americans don't like to listen to things which are unpleasant. But I have defected not to tell you the stories about such idiocies as microfilm, James Bond type, espionage. This is garbage. Uh, you don't need any espionage anymore. I have come to talk about survival. It's a question of survival of this system. Um, you may ask me, what is it in for me? Survival, obviously, because unlike, I, as I said, I am now in your boat. If, if we sing together, we'll sing beautifully together. There is no other place on this planet to defect to. Well, there you have it, folks. Um, very interesting. Just remember those four phases that Yuri Bezmenov went over. And again, these are these are not his theory. This is not his philosophy. This is what he learned to do to other countries. And ask yourself, have we seen the actors, the activists, the politicians, the educators, the Hollywood and commentators, have we seen them actively involved in demoralizing the country in the past, really, the past hundred years, at least, just about a hundred years? And if we go back to the Reese Committee and, and looking at how the Rockefeller Foundation, the Guggenheim Endowment, the Carnegie Endowment um, were involved in systematically changing the education system, at least since the 1920s, we can go back to that's 100 years, folks. Um, so those four phases, one, demoralization, two, destabilization, three, crisis. 
which will lead to a civil war or an invasion or a savior-like figure. And then four, normalization. Now, in one of his other lectures, he mentioned here that if you allow your country to get to the point of destabilization and crisis, then the only way to stop the communist threat is through physical violent means, uh, a war, a civil war of some kind. And I think that we are very close to that. Some, some could say that we're already in crisis. It's a, he said it takes about six weeks to do it, but it looks like we have been in crisis for almost a year now with the COVID-19 pandemic and the f continuing lockdowns and the increase of censorship. We're coming close if we're not there yet. Um, and the fourth and final stage, which is normalization, which is really the hostile takeover. And this, folks, this is the Hegelian dialectic, I believe, at play in our country right now. And I believe we will have a savior-like figure. And I believe that it will be stopped. The communist threat will be stopped. The king of the south, in other words, will be stopped, just like prophecy says. And we will have, we will have a different kind of tyranny. We will have a return we will have a return to the feudal system of the Dark Ages. Remember, in this Hegelian dialectic, it appears that we have communism on one side and true patriotism on the other. And the synthesis of this is going to be like a super capitalism for the elite and basically communism for the masses, which is the Dark Ages, the New World Order, the Old World Order, really. And what led to the fall of the feudal system of the Middle Ages? It was the knowledge of the Bible. That's what led to the fall of that. That's what led to the free world. So what will lead back to the feudal system? It will be not reading the Bible, which is, exa is exactly what we've been doing for generations now. And this is where we're at. And again, in another lecture, he states that the... There are ways to stop these things from happening. And one of the ways he says is that if there is a strong religious, um, a religious, uh, openly accepted national religion, then the demoralization process can't even take place. In other words, if we stay close to Jesus Christ, demoralization is impossible. Now, I think they know this and they're going to replace they're going to replace the true Jesus Christ with their version of it. And we'll have to see what happens, folks. But it, that's what all things appear to be looking at at this angle for me. But anyways, we're just about out of time. Uh, actually, we're a little bit over time. And I apologize for that. But we'll catch you next week, guys. Thank you so much for your time uh, and listening to Yuri Bezmanov. Hopefully you get to check out some of those other some of those other lectures and interviews so you can see just exactly the warning that he gave him. Remember to read it through that Christian lens so you can understand where Rome plays in all of this. All right, folks. God bless.